Volume Three, Chapter Five of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: What other reason could there be? Mary Beaton remained in her own apartments all the following day. She saw no one but Lady Struthers. On Thursday morning, Sir Victor Champion came before twelve o'clock to receive his answer. This apparent lover's haste was in reality less spontaneous than it seemed. Sir Victor would and could have waited warily weeks and months had he felt that thus his chance of winning Mary Beaton would be greater. But something told him that his time was now and that he must not delay. He felt that his best hope lay in the reactionary mood of tender admiration of which he had seen signs on the previous evening and he was certain in his mind that an impulse of sympathy would be more likely to incline her heart towards him than all the reasoning all the reflection which she might bring to bear on his suit he knew that though her judgment might be alive to certain advantages in his proposal which indeed he had suggested to her the more deeply rooted instincts of her nature would make her scorn the idea of worldly calculation in such a matter and that she would have at once too much pride and too much humility to barter herself for the sake even of her steward claims far more for the sake of being the wife of a prime minister of england sir victor's own attitude in its pride and its humility was not unlike that of the girl he wooed notwithstanding his ambition and his intense belief in his own powers and the ultimate greatness of his destiny no lover could have been inwardly more diffident or more impressed with the sense of unworthiness but during sir victor's career as a statesman he had gained no little insight into the minds and hearts of men and women he understood mary beaton he knew that any lack of dignity and assurance on the part of her suitor would repel rather than enlist her sympathies and as he made his entrance into her own particular sitting-room where she waited for him alone no one would have suspected the tremor of hope and uncertainty and emotion which he hid under his grave impressive bearing when he came in mary rose from a low seat by the window from which she had been abstractedly watching the swaying of the great beech-tree the flutter of the half-caged london birds about the high ivied wall and the darting movements of bees and butterflies among the roses and mignonette in her tiny closed-in garden she too was grave and she looked pale as though she had been ill she held a book in her hand and perhaps that was a reason why she did not hold her hand out to him and her greeting was almost silent he did not obey her sign to be seated as she herself moved from the window and sat down in a straight-backed chippendale armchair that was like a throne he thought and she had the air he fancied of a queen granting an audience he laid his hat upon a table and stood near her beside the mantelpiece i have come he said deferentially to ask if you have made up your mind but indeed i fear i need not ask any such question i think i can read your decision in your face and it is my sentence tell me the worst at once i am sorry if you feel it is so mary said somewhat coldly she could not get quite into sympathy with him but i have made up my mind sir victor i told you what the answer must be if i were to give an answer at once 
but you promise to think it over with a wish to make the answer favorable he said eagerly remember you did promise that i did promise that and when i made the promise i meant to keep it but it cannot be sir victor i cannot marry you will you at least tell me why his flashing eyes made his appeal deferential as it was in form seemed like an attempt to overmaster her she did not answer for a moment and shifted her position a little resting her elbows on the arms of her chair and clasping her hands tightly together while she looked up at him with clear unflinching gaze i could not love you as a woman ought to love her husband and as a man like you ought to be loved besides we are not alike in our ways in any of our ways you are a man of the world and are in the world's ways i know nothing about them and things that others would not mind she paused and unclasped her hands a little nervously and let them fall upon her lap there's no use in my saying any more sir victor for indeed it could not be i cannot understand you he said warmly there is something you are thinking of and are keeping back from me someone has told you something against me come tell me what it was give me a chance of defending myself the meanest criminal who ever quailed before a bar of justice is allowed that chance his words tones and gestures were so rhetorical that mary could not help for a moment believing him insincere believing that he was only playing a part the familiar gesture made by striking the clenched right hand with sudden heavy impact into the half-open palm of the left the gesture so well known to the occupants of the treasury bench was called into action now but mary was wrong sir victor was quite in earnest and was not acting a part a man cannot pass the greater part of his life declaiming to the house of commons without finding declamation become his ordinary form of expressing strong emotion an actor has something of the manner of the footlights always in his love-making in his grief by the side of his sweetheart by the coffin of his young wife sir victor champion was a great political actor mary had recovered herself now and had no intention of allowing herself to be betrayed into any acknowledgment of what falcon had told her she spoke with quiet dignity sir victor i have made up my mind for myself altogether nothing that any one could have said would have changed me in that i cannot marry you and the one reason is that i could not love you in that way i admire you oh i could not tell you how much but i could not marry you we should never be suited to each other you are too great for me your course is quite different from mine some time you will think this yourself and you will be glad you will be glad that i did not allow you to join yourself for life to a girl whose whole existence is but the symbol of a lost cause and a hopeless claim she had looked away from him as she said these words and was gazing dreamily out at the quivering beech boughs and the blue sky and the flowers and for nearly a minute there was silence she had a nervous dread of turning and meeting his eyes which she knew were fixed upon her she wondered of what he was thinking if indeed it was a blow to him if he would urge her to reconsider her decision and so make their future relations more embarrassing and painful at last he spoke if you were another woman he said in deep melancholy tones i should still plead but with you i know it would be useless 
it would indeed quite useless she turned her head now and looked at him solemnly but with something of relief i thank you ever so much indeed i do from the bottom of my heart because you are generous enough to see this and not to press me you are very kind to me sir victor and i am sorry for this so it has come to an end my daydream he said sadly i have lost all i suppose even your friendship oh no surely not why should our friendship not go on why should the world know of this the world knows of everything in our days but let us try that it shall not know of this she exclaimed earnestly and if it does what matter i shall not care if you don't all this shall make no change in me to you let it not make any change in you to me then for the first time that day she held out her hand to him in simple and touching kindness he took it and bent over it and pressed it lightly with his lips only one little difference he said and there was a most melancholy cadence in his voice it shall make in me as regards you what is that she asked a little surprised i am now free to devote all my best endeavours to obtaining the recognition of those claims of yours to your ancestral estate which if you had accepted me as a husband oh you to nom and here the front bench of opposition came in again i never could have ventured to press upon the consideration of crown or of country mary drooped her eyes she felt his generosity and nothing could be more delicate than his way of putting his resolve but she almost wished the words had been left unspoken any claim that is just she only said is always sure to have an advocate in sir victor champion the less hopeful the claim the more resolute the advocate well i am glad we have talked this out sir victor and that i am not to lose your friendship by it you are magnanimous but i knew you would be we cannot forget this i could never forget the honour you have done me you with your great career and your noble ambition and i can't expect you all at once to forget a disappointment if it is a disappointment if it is he pleaded since it is a disappointment even though you may forgive the unreasoning woman who disappoints you but we will not think of it any more than we can and the memory shall not come between us and cut our friendship in two good-bye i hope to see you soon she held out her hand again and he took it and left her without another word she felt deeply agitated and all the while there was coming up in her heart the melancholy wish that he had never been the slave of lady saxon or at least that she had never heard of the slavery he is too great for that she said to herself and then the thought rose are all men bad are they all the same mary beaton was in one of her wayward unsatisfactory moods moods which had been rare of late when she joined the others of her household at the dejeuner that was a more subtle reason for her capricious levity than mere girlish high spirits perhaps never in her life had she felt more miserable falcon in a strange contradictory temper and almost maddened by doubt and love and anger saw at once by her reddened eyelids that she had been crying bitterly and he had an abrupt transition from gloom and silent wrath to an adoring tenderness it was partly in the effort to divert attention from these signs of wretchedness of which she was only too conscious 
and which seemed to humiliate her in her own estimation that mary had strung herself up to a fever of artificial gaiety partly too because one of the quick moods of revulsion characteristic of her temperament had come over her and she was reckless and determined not to yield to a feeling which she fancied was a shame to her she resolved that she would not be unhappy she would not think of bellarmin or sir victor or lady saxon she would distract herself somehow she would ride dance laugh talk do anything any mad freak so that she escaped from herself she took falcon aside she seemed to have forgotten or to wish to atone for her ill-humour of the evening before general she said with coaxing imperiousness we are going to carry out a plan that i made a little while ago and which you agreed to and which had almost gone out of my mind i don't know why i suppose that it was because of stonehenge park and monsignor valmy and then fashionable parties and politics and other things i was too much taken up with all that to pine after low-class amusements well i am tired of being fashionable and political and humdrum i've had enough of polite society i am weary of the sort of life we lead i am weary of myself that's the truth dear old friend falcon could not restrain his impatience to know what had taken place in the interview with champion mary's manner alarmed him he interrupted her madame sir victor champion has been here this morning yes yes i don't want to talk of sir victor but it is best you should know my good falcon don't excite yourself i told you last night that i had no intention of marrying sir victor and i have told him so to-day are you satisfied have i sufficiently vindicated the dignity of the stuarts falcon bowed low he himself would vindicate his power of self-control though my over-anxiety may have displeased you sometimes madame i have always felt assured in my heart that the dignity of the stuarts was safe with you oh indeed general the dignity of the stuarts are you sure that you will be of the same opinion to-night she said coming closer to him and smiling in his face to-night when we are smoking cigarettes at our east end music hall and drinking what do they drink i should like absinthe i think to-night i in my boy's clothes do you hear general that is the prank i had forgotten it is to be to-night it is to be an adventure something to take one's thoughts up from oneself and make one laugh and be merry for days i am sure that mary stuart felt like that when she dressed in the archer's uniform perhaps she was disgusted with people perhaps she was unhappy she was often unhappy you know though at times she seemed so gay perhaps she really loved bothwell all through and wanted to hide it even from herself do you think falcon that she could have really loved bothwell there was a wistful cadence in mary's voice and though her eyes were turned on falcon as she asked the question she did not seem to notice the strange expression which came over his face in truth her mind was not on falcon his eyes devoured her he could hardly restrain the impulse to throw himself at her feet i know it he said hoarsely a brave woman could not hate the man who dared to risk his very love his world his heaven think of it mary in the hope of winning her 
and if not hate then surely it must be love and surrender the sweetest the most passionate and complete yes it was a bold stroke but he won and what if it were paid for by disaster ruin death through all eternity that memory must be bothwell's well falcon never mind bothwell that's a long time ago we are to forget all about everything for an hour or two do you understand lords and ladies and the house of commons and the stuart claims we will be so merry to-night you and i falcon she leaned towards him and touched his arm and looked at him in perfectly unconscious allurement we are going to get out of this fashionable wearisome revolting world where everybody is double-faced and bad yes bad all the worse because they try to seem fine and noble and heroic let one have honest vulgar badness if one must have it at all we will get out of it just for an hour into a new world of common people who laugh heartily and are what they seem no don't argue and protest we have had all that before i must do something wild and extraordinary to-night don't you see that i am not myself quite i i want to be amused she broke into hysterical laughter which was on the verge of tears her mood her words wrought upon falcon's excited nerves so that he had neither will nor force to oppose any fantastic scheme she might have suggested he had an insane longing to seize upon no matter what wild project which might throw down existing barriers and drive her and him into strange unconventional conditions that would justify the most melodramatic extravagance he saw her slim girlish form in its masquerade dress he fancied her leaning upon him all sorts of tumultuous thoughts surged in his brain he echoed her strained laugh we will be merry to-night mary he said i will arrange everything yes we will be merry to-night mary seemed to be lost in thought remember she said suddenly you are not to speak to me any more or to any one of the sir victor champion affair i fear said falcon on his guard again that it will have a bad effect as regards the bringing forward of your claims in the house of commons no she exclaimed warmly he is generous magnanimous more so than you could have believed he has told me in the most delicate the kindest way that it will make no difference between us i could almost have wished it might be otherwise falcon only that i am glad to know that he is great enough not to bear resentment he has told me that he will advocate my cause all the more warmly because of that that he will do what he could not have done had he had i accepted him mary spoke in much agitation it was evident that though she had no love for champion she had been deeply moved by his conduct towards her she looked pathetically at falcon oh why did you tell me that about him did you do it to hurt me she asked appealingly no i am not blaming you i know that you love me and that if you sometimes seem unkind you have my good at heart you needn't have been afraid though oh no as he made a passionate gesture i know you mean always kindly and tenderly to me and you must be kind to me falcon for in truth i am lonely enough oh mary cried falcon transported by her gentle words 
if you but knew how I love you. Then prove it, General, by humoring me and being nice to me tonight. She was all gaiety again. Now go away. I want to think, to soliloquize on the situation, as they do in plays, you know. Falcon had that morning received a telegram from Lady Saxon, a somewhat enigmatic telegram, which she understood to mean that she wished to learn from him at once the answer Mary had given to Sir Victor Champion. He went to her house immediately after his interview with Miss Beaton. He was like a drunken man whom some sudden shock brings partially back to his sober sense. On his own account, he was anxious to see Lady Saxon, towards whom he involuntarily turned as the one person in the world in whom he could confide the workings of his morbid mind. Lady Saxon knew that she had made a hit in her way of dealing with Falcon. She had got at his secret, and she knew he was the sort of man who, having once confessed, would feel a morbid relief in going over the confession again and again. Lady Saxon had not been for nothing the wife and the confidential agent of a quack doctor who lived on human weaknesses. She loved to make pathological study of natures that were in any way morally diseased. Poor Falcon's mind had long been oppressed by the weight of his secret, and it was a strange, shame-faced, humbling, cruel, sweet relief to him to be able to pour out his confession. It would have amused her in any case thus to make the shamed and suffering man unfold himself and lay bare at her bidding the innermost workings of his heart. Today, suffering as she was still, even though that paroxysm of passion had been a relief, and hardened as she was already to her own pain, she took a cruel and sympathetic delight in the thought of another's tortures. Lady Saxon, besides, had a practical object in her sport. She hoped to be able, sooner or later, to make some good use of his revelations. It was highly satisfactory to her to get absolutely into her power the man who alone, out of all those now surrounding her, could tell something definite of her past career, and, moreover, the man who might be her best instrument of revenge against Mary Beaton. She had passed a terrible night, a weary day, another terrible night, but Lady Saxon's was a robust physique, a superabundant vitality, which perhaps required the outlet of occasional mental disturbance. The flood of emotion, which had drained itself away for the time by its very violence, had gathered again and broken in renewed outbursts of fury. She might have been dangerous, but for these debauches of passion. She had them frequently, in a minor degree, and she came forth from them always saner and better prepared to face the world. She had the cleverness to conceal them as an intermittent drunkard may have the craft to conceal his attacks. Under other circumstances, she would have gone down perhaps to Petrel's rest, but it would have been impossible for her now to leave London, and she found it easier to school herself to impenetrability and to the idea of meeting Champion as though nothing had happened. She had decided that it would be folly and absolute ruin to her hopes to throw her cards on the table. She would play her own game, and she calculated upon winning in the end if not by accomplishing her present aims through becoming indifferent, or, as she had once tried to do, turning her love into hatred. She looked ten years older than she had looked two days before. 
but her dress was as studied as usual and her manner was cool hard and defiant well she asked at once turning as Coto ushered falcon into the boudoir where she was sitting at her writing-table dashing off notes is your princess going to be prime minister of england well he repeated she has refused him lady saxon's eyes flashed hell-fire one instant as carlyle would put it she had refused him the man at whose feet josephine saxon would have flung herself had offered his love to a girl a schoolgirl and had been refused josephine was glad that he had been refused what else had she been praying for of course she was glad but the very refusal itself was a new pang of humiliation to her but she showed no more of this she made falcon sit by her and Suchi had drawn from him all that he could tell all indeed except the revelation he had made to mary concerning herself and champion she learned the particulars of sir victor's visit that morning of mary's hysterical mood of her feverish longing for distraction and the poor foolish escapade into which falcon was about to enter lady saxon laughed with contemptuous amusement she led the old man on to talk of his wild hopes and insane heart-burnings he told her of mary's gentler manner to him and almost tender words and of the maddening suggestions she had so unconsciously seemed to encourage he repeated mary's own injunction the victor champion episode was to be buried never again alluded to are you satisfied lady saxon asked coldly so far yes don't you think it is satisfactory no she answered sharply i don't and i don't see why you should any more than i but you would not have wished her to accept him have you taken the trouble general falcon to ask yourself why she has refused him falcon became uneasy she told me herself he said oh she told you herself did she yes lady saxon truly and what did she say she said she could not love him and you believe that believe that she could not love him no no i don't mean that how dull you are to-day general falcon you believe that that was her only reason for refusing him it seems to me reason enough for a woman of miss beaton's high tone of mind high tone of mind miss beaton and the thought of her make you quite eloquent my poor friend do you really mean to tell me that you never fancied she might have had some other reason for refusing sir victor champion than the mere fact that she didn't actually love him that she wasn't in love with him what other reason could there be he asked in a low voice growing hoarse with anxiety lady saxon gave a disagreeable little laugh why of course because she does love someone else falcon groaned audibly this was what his prophetic soul had been telling him this was what he had been trying to keep out of his thoughts and now it was only too plain that lady saxon knew it as well as he did he had a morbid terror of hearing it from her she did not mean to spare him and so you really didn't know this my poor falcon she said with contemptuous pity feeling a certain satisfaction that she was rubbing salt into his wounds you never suspected this 
i didn't think even a man could be so dull your fair princess refused sir victor champion because she is in love with young ralph bellarmin there is the whole story why do you think that he asked fiercely i don't think anything about it i have eyes and senses and i know it why it is all as clear as light she is in love with him i knew she would be in love with him and she has a will of her own as you know pretty well and she will marry him if you don't do something to prevent her she shall marry him falcon exclaimed with an oath she shall never marry him she will marry him if you don't do something to prevent it but i don't suppose you will do anything she shrugged her shoulders contemptuously oh what can i do make her marry you make her see that you are her master the master of her destiny if i were a man and in your place i would make her see that easily enough a woman likes a man all the better because he shows her that he is her master i never cared long for any man and lady saxon felt her lips quivering as she spoke out this falsehood because i never found the man who could be my master well when is this east end escapade coming off she asked suddenly changing her tone and manner and rising from her chair she wants it to-night she wants something to distract her thoughts she says and it is to be to-night i have yielded falcon said i yielded reluctantly but i can refuse for some reason and put it off you fool why should you put it off it gives you a splendid chance if you only have the spirit lady saxon i am a soldier i have seen some rough days i have not been accused of want of spirit piff paff i have known many a hero in the battle who hadn't the courage of a mouse when it came to be a question of getting any mastery over a woman well if you have any spirit take your chance to-night but what is to be done the perplexed falcon asked make up some story between this and then tell her of some danger or plot or something invent any fable that will account for taking her out of town i'll invent you half a dozen if you give me a few minutes time take her to petrel's rest and then tell her that she is not to stir from the place until she consents to marry you i declare to you that if i were she i would marry the man who had the courage to capture me she threw herself into a low chair and remained silent as if she had said her say and dismissed the subject in reality she was thinking it out with a freakish malign exultation she wanted to set some manner of mischief afoot something which would injure and degrade her rival of course she had no faith in the possibility of a bothwell-like carrying off of mary beaton she wanted a scene a scandal something which would have to come out in a police court and get into the newspapers and be the talk of london falcon's mad temper was a heaven-sent chance to her and she laughed exultingly over it and over him when he had gone if things would only turn out so that the stuart princess must have to go into a police court and explain how it came about that she was found at a low-class east end music hall masquerading in the dress of a boy would not that be enough to finish her london career would it not disillusionize victor champion 
would it not of a certainty open the eyes of the romantic and chivalrous bellarmine come a bright idea bellarmine must be got to appear on the spot somehow he must be compelled to see his ideal princess his gloriana in her romping jacket her tomboy masquerade in spite of her real misery lady saxon's eyes sparkled with a kind of impish delight at this idea she thought of all that would be said in the society papers and she gloated in advance over the humiliation of mary beaton falcon stood meanwhile erect and speechless as a graven image his rigid attitude was strangely out of keeping with the wild disturbance of his heart all around seemed for the time as if it were curtained in blackness at last he started like one starting out of sleep and he clenched his hands and said in a tone of passionate resolution yes i'll try it it is the last chance i am glad you see it in that light lady saxon said composedly it is indeed the last chance of rescuing her from the consequences of a foolish love for a showy young political adventurer if you only keep true to your purpose and don't let your resolution ooze out you will save her and she will thank you for it some day before long now my good falcon you had better go this is a thing to be done not talked about you understand i suppose i ought to thank you he said hoarsely but i can't i don't know whether i owe you gratitude or hatred i don't know whether you are inspired by god or by the devil what does it matter my good falcon so far as you are concerned where the source of my inspiration is found i don't really know myself i have heard casuists say that the most trying of all temptations is the difficulty of knowing sometimes whether a certain inward prompting comes from god or from the devil i only know that i am trying to serve my friend after my fashion friend friend he repeated hesitatingly i do not know lady saxon are we friends can we be friends do you think we ought to be enemies she blandly asked oh no not enemies well we can't under all the circumstances be quite indifferent to each other and so my best falcon i see nothing for it but that we should be friends good-bye and gluck off as the miners used to say in my merry german days end of volume three chapter five